Hey there, welcome to Takeaway with Sam Okus, a podcast from Nation's Restaurant News. I am Sam Okus, Editor-in-Chief at NRN, and this is the show where I give you an all-access pass to the restaurant industry's most influential decision makers. Today's episode is a special encore presentation of a conversation that we published on Takeaway earlier this year. This is a conversation with Lauren Bailey. She is the co-founder and CEO of Upward Projects, an Arizona-based restaurant group best known for its cornerstone concept, Postino Wine Cafe. This was one of my favorite conversations of 2022, particularly because of how honest Lauren is about what it takes to build a restaurant company from scratch, and because she shares several practical tips for younger restaurateurs on how to scale their businesses. In this conversation, you'll learn more about how running a restaurant business is both an art and a science, why forced creativity can be a gift to restaurateurs, and how you should approach raising capital as an upstart entrepreneur. Jumping now into my interview with Postino Wine Cafe co-founder and CEO, Lauren Bailey. Also, don't forget to stick around after the interview as I will share my seven takeaways from this discussion, actionable insights that you can take with you on the go. Okay, Lauren Bailey, co-founder and CEO of Upward Projects. Thank you for taking some time today. Lauren, for those not familiar with your group of restaurants, give us the quick synopsis on what this company is all about, how it came to be. Good morning, Sam. I'm so excited to be here. Um, so we are a collective, um, but you're probably mo- more familiar with our, um, our growth brand, and that's Postino. So we're a wine bar, um, but so much more than that. We kind of consider us a, a third place, a place to come and have a hang, have a first date, meet some girlfriends, guy friends, um, come and work on your laptop, whatever it is. Um, we kind of come one, come all in a lot of different ways. And we love using um, older buildings as an adaptive reuse as a canvas for our spots um, and being part of communities that um, are vibrant and collaborative um, and really bring our spaces to life. Truly that concept of the lifestyle brand, I think is the term that got picked up in the last couple of years is what Postino seems to be. I hope so. You know, I mean, it sounds like we're selling golf shirts in that case, but I feel like, you know, we want to infiltrate your life in a lot of ways um, and, and kind of meet people in all the places that they drink wine and, and have a hang with their peeps. Sure. So tell me about the moment you knew Postino was a growth concept. What was that process like where you realized you guys had something that you could scale? Um, you know, I think we had kind of a different path than most people. Um, Craig, my partner and I, we had this, this really strong belief system that we shared that we would rather be cool than um, wealthy, which I think is a little uncommon. We still feel that way. And so I think a lot of that drove um, the really foundation of what has made us successful without us even really knowing it. Um, we always wanted to put this experience that we had um, before everything else. And frankly, we didn't even have PL until we had probably four or five restaurants and he was a bartender. I was a waitress. So we were definitely not familiar with creating those types of financial documents. I mean, if you rewind 15 years ago, all the platforms technology that exists today to manage your business in quotes weren't really around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, and, and at that point in time too, it wasn't like we had access to everyone else's financials. And we certainly didn't know where we benched against not only ourselves, but anybody else in the industry. I think that the, 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 art side of it, because I really believe in this kind of art and science viewpoint of these businesses, the art side of it was that we really felt like we had a place in people's lives. And 
as we opened one, two, three, the amount of people that would send us messages and reach out and say, Hey, I want this in my town. I moved. Can you, or can you guys come to my neighborhood within Phoenix where we started? And that started to get from a, a sort of like moderate request to like a clamoring. So on the art side, that was like sort of where we were kind of like, man, you know, this is, is working. We also didn't realize at the time we were starting to place the business in a lot of different types of neighborhoods. We were going from being in like um, urban core and really dedicated neighborhood to out in the suburbs to ASU's campus um, and seeing that this concept kind of worked in a lot of different areas with a lot of different demographics. Um, was that purposeful? I, w- I would say not it wasn't the focus at the time. It was kind of like we would find these cool buildings or these cool neighborhoods that we wanted to go into. um, A lot of which were sort of up and coming. I think from the financial perspective, I met Alice Elliott and um, David Burzon from Snooze and Rick Federico and kind of started to get some background on how we were benching against what was, what was known in the industry to be successful. I think too, we didn't really have a lot of what I would say direct competitors and that we weren't selling burgers or tacos or, um, you know, a lot of what was sort of already out there, categorically speaking, or a, a version of Chipotle, you know, that was like the, the catchphrase yeah. for a long time, we're the Chipotle of whatever. Right. Um, and our, our offering was pretty unique. So I think I don't know if there was any one single moment, I think it was pretty organic. And I'm grateful for that, because it allowed us to really build a foundation that was meaningful, that was rooted in like, value to the guest on every level. Sure. What would you say were some of the the hurdles along the way? Because surely you, you went up against several challenges on that organic journey you went on. What were some of those things and how did you overcome? Um, oh my gosh, there's an encyclopedia. Highlights, I mean, the best uh-huh. ones, mostly dealing with these old buildings. That was a big one, not having funding. I mean, Craig and I funded this company from its inception um, until we did a private equity deal in 2017. And we built 11 restaurants on credit cards you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul, I literally would go to Costco and buy a case of ramen noodles and a case of Red Bull. And that's what I ate for like the better part of a decade. Wow. And it was a great plan, you know, but I mean, it was the gamut of, I think a lot of people, what what I remember being the hardest point, I think was when we got to three, because you're sort of starting to get some scale and you have this moment where you realize you can't be everywhere at every time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we certainly stumbled. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs do is at that moment, you've got to start to build systems and hire some key players to spread yourself out. And we realized that we could, when we had one or two or three restaurants, when they were all say within a 10 mile radius, we could control that environment. Between Craig or I, we could be there at all times. We could cover it and figuring out how to scale that intention or those, those standards or parameters. That's where it got extremely difficult. It was like, what systems need to occur to execute at the level that we want to execute in. And then Mm -hmm. how do you find these people? Um, But it was everything. It was also just like, I remember sitting at my desk and getting out the checkbook because this is OG days and writing all the checks to the vendors and just adding this up and being like, okay, we're short, you Mm -hmm. know, and not being able to make payroll. And um, again, like waiting and talking to vendors and being like, can we pay you in a couple of weeks? We're going to run payroll this week. And, um, the stress of that. And I think the biggest overarching thing that it, when you're in this world is that you've got to quickly learn how to navigate these negative experiences. And it lives between these two years, right? Yeah. And it's so much about, cause you, I'd stand up from that desk and be like, okay, we don't have enough money. 
to pay our bills. And now I've got to go back in that restaurant and be like, hey guys, we got this. Let's blow people's minds. And the space between those two things is extremely difficult. And I really truly believe that the body goes where the mind goes. And mm. if you stop yourself and catch whatever thing that happened in that moment of like, I've got to make a decision that this is happening and I'm going to find a way out of it. And I got to focus on this other stuff because this is what drives the business was such a key piece of the process to navigating kind of anything that came our way and a belief mm. system that like, whatever it is, we'll figure it out. Mm. And that is like rooted so deeply in my core of in every fiber of my being. So what I'm hearing from you, I mean, it's, it's hustle, it's grinding, it's resilience, right? Yeah. I also think it's like creativity too. You've got to figure out different ways to solve problems. You know, we, um, early on, we would go through, this is back in the day, we would tear pages out of all these design magazines and we'd build these sort of paper mood boards. Um, and we couldn't afford to hire a designer. And so mm. we knew one, we couldn't afford to hire a designer and two, we couldn't afford any of the stuff that they would spec for the restaurants. Right. And we'd travel all over the country, like looking at this stuff and we're like, all right, how can we deliver that type of experience without that type of expense? And I think that that's such a beautiful thing about emerging brands is that is this forced creativity mm. because, you know, I don't know if you're a fan of the Foo Fighters, but I love this story that they made one of their best albums in the garage of their home because they didn't have this studio and their lead singer will tell you the story that once they became successful, they had this unbelievable studio. They could do anything they want. They had every resource. And he will tell you that was the shittiest album they ever made. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think as an entrepreneur, like embracing this forced creativity that you have to solve problems and, and building a relationship with that, that is like the essence of what ultimately all these huge companies that have tons of resources travel all over to go see what people who are engaged in forced creativity are doing so that they mm -hmm. can put that in their business. Right. Mm -hmm. I love that metaphor. And it's an art is a great metaphor for that because I've countless of my favorite bands or filmmakers who, once they made it, make it big, they kind of sell out as we, we say, right. Um, for you, once you did accomplish scale and once you get a private equity deal, how did you maintain some of that forced creativity? How did you protect that spirit? So it just got a little more intentional. I mean, still we have what we call squirrel day. Like we just want to squirrel. We, we get in a room, we have no agendas because we're like, oh, we need to be disciplined and no agenda, no attenda. You know, that's our mantra for a while. And I sort of thought this like started to engineer all this, just like, where does the conversation go? And where do you answer? Wouldn't it be cool if fill in the blank, right? Mm -hmm. So we started to develop these meetings and, and what we call squirrel days, which is like, we're just going to get in a room and talk about like, what's really great about the brand right now? What sucks about it? What are you seeing? What's going on? And we, we start to track these conversations and just like ultimately come up with these ideas that it could be something simple and it could be something complex. It could go nowhere. It could go everywhere. For instance, like right now we're, everybody's looking at these price increases. And so we got in a room and we're like, as a receiver, of a price increase. Like when you leave a restaurant, I don't care how much money you make, you get your debit card or credit card statement and it's depressing. You know, mm -hmm. you look at that. And so we started to squirrel on like, how does it feel to receive that? And like, where are you going to go if you want to have a value experience and your bank accounts dwindling because everything's super experienced. So let's like lean into that. And like, let's do this summer promo that says we're tired of price increases. Here's some great deals. Mm -hmm. And then we can start to explore, um, kind of a different path around that. And even problem solving, like if we, if we have this big issue that continues to recur and like, we just kind of whiteboard it. And I think leaving some of these organic types of conversations too are important. We also have another full day where our team does, we call it the blue sky day. 
And it's mm-hmm. just like, what if you can't shoot anybody's idea down? You can only add on top of it. You can't say, yeah, but we have like this big circle that says, yeah, but with an X in it, mm-hmm. can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just like the larger that you get engineering some of those moments in time and space to have that, um, it probably helps that I'm a creative as the leader of the company, because I think that, um, that's always top of mind for me. It can be a blessing and a curse. Internally, we call it my shiny object syndrome. Um, so that does seem to be controlled, but I think just leaving space for it. And then, and then cross departmentally too, we've gotten some great ideas from our finance team and marketing and um, great ideas from ops into finance. And um, I think levering people's different skill sets as you grow too is key. Yeah. That shiny object syndrome. I, you know, I've, I've met a lot of entrepreneurs in, in uh, my career who, um, you know, they get stars in their eyes, especially when somebody waves them a check and say, you could franchise this, or here's a private equity deal. Um, for those emerging restaurateurs out there who are on this path that you have been on, what are those things to look out for to avoid? What are some, what's some advice you would give them to, to make sure that they avoid making these mistakes? First and foremost, you need to start to think about doing um, a private equity deal or any kind of capital raise when you don't need money. Because mm-hmm. when you need money or you've signed up to do a deal for construction that you can't build, what you're doing for yourself is creating a path that you're going to be forced to be extremely flexible in the things that you are very committed to. Your non-negotiables will not be non-negotiables. They will become negotiables because you're in a position that you have to get this money. So I think that putting that on the, on the on front of mind when you don't need the money, and Craig and I were lucky to receive that advice early on in our path. And that gave us a lot more decision-making as it relates to not only who we partnered with, but the terms of that deal, what it looked like on the other side and having a a patience to see it through to the end. I think that's, that's first and foremost. Um, The second piece is really trying to understand two things about yourself. That is that, do you have the desire to take this brand to a certain place that will get it to a, um, a higher level value? So if you have three units, can you get it to eight? Mm-hmm. Do you have the desire to do that and the work that it takes with that? There's been a high level of glamorization of entrepreneurship. And like I lovingly told you my story of ramen noodles and Red Bull, but that is absolutely true. Yeah. Um, I can't tell you how many times I had 15 bucks in my bank account, sacrificed a ton of stuff, worked 80, 90 hours a week for a long period of time. And I think you've got to really ask yourself, do you have the desire to do what it takes? Second mm-hmm. piece is that, do you have the ability? A lot of um, artists, founders, um, people that start with the brand, they don't either don't want to develop the skill sets that it takes to run and grow a larger company, or they just don't have it. And I think having an honest conversation with yourself, if you, if you really think you have the skill sets and building out really what you think that those are and talking to other people who've done it and understanding what that lifestyle is. And if you can really commit to that, and then can you be vulnerable enough? Because I hear this from so many private equity folks, investors, and people that deal with this is that the founders have what I have named founderitis. And that is Mm. a total inflexibility and willingness to look in the mirror, build your skill set, be flexible with the concept and listen to people who've seen this movie before and grown and sold companies. Mm. Um, If you can take that off of yourself and really open your eyes and mind to being better, developing into the leader that you need to be for that company, I think that that's like a huge piece of the puzzle too. Mm. You guys at Upward Projects, you you now have multiple brands under this portfolio. Tell me about the process of developing other brands, the decision to uh, expand into other concepts, and how you scale all of these kind of in concert with each other. 
So right now we're pretty focused on Postino. I would say like, you know, I've kind of learned over the years, never say never and don't say no. So mm-hmm. um, during our growth path, like I said, a lot of our decision-making centered on real estate and it was like a cool building, a great neighborhood, let's go do it. And it gave way to several other good ideas that I think really do deserve to grow. Um, but for right now, I think Postino is so differentiated and it's got, it's just got a lot of legs, um, as we grow across the country and our team's trying to focus a lot on that. So I don't know that you'll see a ton of those sites open. Um, and I think that's the other huge thing for entrepreneurs and emerging brands is to really try to avoid shiny object syndrome. Cause to your point, you do get a ton of stuff thrown at you. We get calls almost weekly. Hey, will you open a joy ride? Will you do a federal pizza and the level of discipline? Um, again, as it relates to what you personally feel is your exit, if you're an idea person and you want to just generate stuff, get it to two or three, or you want to be, you know, the incredible Sam Fox who takes a great idea and gets it to 25 and he'll tell you, he's not the person to keep doing that. And he knows that. Mm. And I think knowing where you fall in that, um, sort of parameter is so huge. And for us, like we really want to be focused on Postino at this point. Mm. Yeah. What is some other advice? I mean, you, you throw out some great tips for emerging operators for what to look out for, what not to do. What are, what are other bits of advice you've picked up for those early stage growth concepts? What are some things maybe that you wish you had known when you were there? Um, the training piece and people piece, everyone says that it's such a cliche, but I think I would have hired, um, we have an unbelievable uh, VP of people and culture. I wish I would have hired him two or three years sooner. Um, especially in this environment that was 12 years ago. And I, if you fast forward to now, I would have onboarded that person way sooner. Mm -hmm. Um, I would have been thinking a little bit more creatively about the capital to um, sort of interim capital. And like, I I believe wholeheartedly in equity is the road to wealth. And sometimes I see people not willing to sacrifice their own personal balance sheets to invest in their brand because they don't really understand that like, especially if you're young and you're on the younger side and you can, you can afford to lose, like you can afford to lose your house. You can afford to not have a savings if you're, you know, between the age of 25 and 35, because that is such a gift. And these folks, like, I feel like I wasted that because your Mm. ability to sort of really take it to the edge at that point and preserve your ownership there and be willing to work, do the stuff yourself and save money is a fast track to not only continued ownership. Like even though that we partner with the private equity firm that we're partnered with Brentwood, I still have a significant ownership in our company because I made those decisions and sacrifices. Um, I think that that's a huge, huge piece of the puzzle and also investing again in yourself. And I wish I would have started to take a harder look at what my skill sets were earlier on and what I needed Mm. to hone and figuring out um, who I could tap into. We definitely did that. And I did that earlier, but I would have gone even harder at it and um, gotten into more networks, more circles of people who knew about these things. And um, the other one I would add is do not, we didn't do this, thank God, do not do a rental lease deal where the rent is free or, Hey, we're going to pay you a million dollars. We'll pay for your build out. Mm. I've never one time ever seen those types of deals work out really well. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's some outliers there for really big brands that are already established, but for for emerging brands, I've never one time seen that work out positively for the person. Mm. And I think they get they, they look at these offers where there'll be a landlord that wants to put an amenity in their building, or they want to get you to take a second floor spot and they entice you with like, Hey, we're going to fully build this out for you. You just got to operate it. 
you could lose, you know, so much money in the first six months. It was irrelevant. Real estate is everything. Sam Fox mm-hmm. told me that one time was like the greatest advice. He said, the, the next 10 deals that you do for real estate will define that company, making mm-hmm. sure that you make really, really sound real estate decisions. Because let's say you've got two or three units and then you go sign up for a dog. And now that's going to drag down all your numbers and could effectively kill your deal. Because if you're mm-hmm. trying to get, let's say to eight or 10 units to go get, you know, an Andrew or any, any private equity company to invest in you and you have two or three, you're going to, you're not even going to get a seat at the table because your numbers and your benchmarks won't hit. So those real estate decisions are critical. And I would find two or three people, four people that, you know, have done this before that you can run those deals past them and say like, Hey, for my concept, do you think this works? And Mm. I don't see that as often as I think I should from, from uh, founders. Is that harder now? I mean, the real estate market, as I understand it from uh, a lot of other restaurant operators, it's really brutal out there. So is that harder now to not fall into the trap of, I'll just take this deal? I think it's always hard. Um, it's, it's difficult now because everybody is facing headwinds. So our landlords, mm-hmm. they, you know, we're not really seeing a ton of deal flow for 2024 because they're trying to put together financing packages in an environment where they've just had huge increases in, um, in the way that they structure their deals. So, and then the construction issue, everything's twice as expensive as it was. And so those same rental rates are not found. And then we're trying to make those numbers work on our end. And it's just super difficult without seeing some kind of relief of pressure around that. I think the, com- the competition for deals is going to be even higher because you're not going to see a lot of new construction coming up in 2024. And so the existing things that are already built already out there um, are going to get highly competitive and drive up those rental rates even more. Um, and then some people in our shoes and a lot of people that are um, publicly traded or within um, private equity companies, you have to grow. So you have to go do deals. And so those companies are setting the tone for what these rental rates are. So for someone not in that case, you're going to um, pay a higher rent because effectively the, those folks in those situations are driving up the, the rate. So it's just, it's complicated from almost every angle. What I've experienced over doing this now for almost 20 years is that you see sort of highs and lows in the real estate world, but not usually all of these things all at once mm-hmm. that are difficult. So it's definitely hot on my mind. Pretty tough time out there to be a restaurant operator these days. Um, Lauren, last question for you is now that you are essentially out of emerging restaurateur status. Um, I you, am? <laughs> yeah, you're a veteran at this now, believe it or not. What? Okay, I what? simultaneously <laughs> feel really satisfied and old all together at the same time. Go ahead and put it. it on your resume, by the way. Put it on okay, your resume. Okay, That's okay. official right here. <laughs> Tell me about what's next. I mean, looking at Postino, I mean, you've established this concept. It's well known in the industry and obviously to its communities. What do you want to accomplish next? What do you hope to do with this brand? You know, you said it's a hard time to be in the industry. I think it's a great time. I don't know. This is, I'm a, I'm a little Pollyanna on this whole topic. I guess I just believe and through COVID, you know, it was just this wonderful, amazing moment to hear people say, oh, you know, what do you miss about being on the most when you're on lockdown? And they're like, my friends, my family, restaurants. And we're like, mm-hmm. oh. Uh, you know, us, like it was uh-huh. just this galvanizing moment to realize the, the role that we play in people's lives. And, you know, myself and my team, I think when things get tough or we're facing a challenge, it's that we can always go back to that is that we have this beautiful privilege to create these spaces that people come to do their most important 
things in life. They come there to go on a first date, to decide they're going to get married, to have a baby, buy a house, sell, you know, their business, whatever it might be. And, and we get to create that space. And I think for me, I just really love that. And, and not to get too like high level with it, but, you know, doing this, I, it's not lost on me that this journey is the most fun. I've had every single one of my mentors at some point when I'm meeting with them, look at me with this like look of God, you know, and I remember several of them saying to me what I would give to go back to experience what you're experiencing. Mm. And I think just taking a moment and stopping and realizing how incredible this journey is. Like we just met with several of our teammates last night who have reached a point in their career with us that they were given equity in the company. And those are by far my favorite days ever. And they're Mm -hmm. so special. And I think just remembering that the journey that you're on and building something like this and my partner and I, he always comes over early before we do these toasts to these folks who are going to get equity with us. And we always have these moments where we, you know, reminisce standing behind the dumpster, drinking a beer, crying, and then patting each other on the back and being like, you got to get back in there, you know, and that those are the moments that matter the most. And Mm -hmm. I, that's just not lost on me. And I just want to like soak it up, enjoy the ride um, and feel it. You know, I went to our, our location in Postino and, um, Broadway and Denver, and I'm like walking down to the basement and I see one of those like dental office mm-hmm. kittens, you know, and it's a kitten like hanging from the thing. And it says, yeah. hang in there. And I'm like, what is this? And I go get a black marker and I cross it off. And I wrote, enjoy the ride because I believe that. And I think that this is like, it's a challenge, but it's also like so inspiring. Just you figure it out. You know, you just figure out this isn't different than a lot of other stuff we faced. And that's the fun part is like, you figure it out. Yeah. Awesome advice. Lauren Bailey, thank you so much for chatting today. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Sam. Great to be with you. That was my interview with Postino Wine Cafe co-founder and CEO, Lauren Bailey. So what should you learn from this interview? Here are my seven takeaways. My first takeaway is that running a restaurant is both an art and a science. Lauren has this great way of explaining that the science of running a restaurant is your P&L, it's unit economics, it's your financials. You have to be responsible and make sure that you can pay your bills, that you can make money. But the art of running a restaurant is almost more important, as Lauren says. That is a matter of fitting your restaurant concept into your customers' lives. You you cannot do that with an equation or with a spreadsheet. It won't tell you how to do that. That is something that is a little bit more of an art. And at Postino, they've really mastered that idea, the art of how to put a Postino into an individual community and find a way to make it thrive. 
My second takeaway is that your first big challenge as an emerging restaurateur is learning that you cannot be everywhere at every time. Lauren said that for her, this happened at about three locations as she and her co-founder were building up this company. That was the point at which she realized this is hard. You cannot go to all of your locations and solve for all those problems that they're having all of the time. You have got to hire key players and build systems at that point. It's at that point that you're really scaling your concept and setting it up for future scaling. My third takeaway is that forced creativity is vital to the life of an emerging brand leader. I loved Lauren's example of this when she talked about the Foo Fighters and how the Foo Fighters say, you know, their best album was recorded in their garage. When they had very limited tools at their disposal, that was when their creativity was at its highest and where they were able to create their best work. But when they became a mega success and they had all of the tools at their disposal and the best studio you could ever ask for, the quality actually suffered. It's the same for a restaurant. When your resources are limited and when you are really backed into a corner, that's when some of the best creativity comes out and when you can do some of your best work. Lauren talked about the fact that it was in those times, you know, she had to rise above those negative experiences she had and problem solve when she had to because you really, she really had no choice. But that was when some of the best creativity came out. My fourth takeaway is this. If you want to maintain that creativity, you have got to be intentional about it. I asked Lauren, of course, when, you know, now that she's successful, now that Postino is an incredible success story, does she have those moments anymore where she's having this forced creativity? And Lauren says she's intentional about creating space for her and her team to have these blue sky days, to just throw ideas out there, to try to maintain that creativity because it's important to hear from everybody about their ideas and and to think creatively because when you put your head down and you're running a successful business even, you're not always going to be put in that place where that creativity is necessary. My fifth takeaway is that you should think about raising capital when you do not need money. This is important for any of you out there who are a a leader of an emerging brand or who are in the early days of scaling. You're going to be in a lot better of a position to negotiate when you're not desperate for a deal. So when you do not need that money, think about where that capital is going to come from. Think about what you need to build this business to where you think it can go. My sixth takeaway is that you should know what you want to accomplish with your concept and whether you can do what it takes to get you there. What's the ultimate goal of your restaurant brand that you're building and how do you plan to get it there? These are questions that Lauren talks about. You know, she had to ask herself that and be prepared, as she said, to do what it takes what it takes. And, you know, for her, that was getting cases of ramen noodles and, and Red Bull and living off that for the better part of a decade. Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to listen to other people? Can you overcome what Lauren calls founderitis? Can you be flexible with your concept and your dream for the concept? These are all things you should figure out early on because they're all things that will, uh, that will come up in the path toward building your concept, toward scaling your concept. My seventh and final takeaway is that you shouldn't waste the gift that is your younger years. So again, Lauren talks about that ramen and Red Bull that she consumed for the better part of a decade. 
you know, she, she was scrapping in her early years. She sacrificed, but she was also younger, as she said, and she was willing to put in that time. But beyond that, as she mentions, you know, equity is the road to wealth. That's her theory. And you really have to invest personally and take some risks. It's a lot easier to take those risks, though, when you're young. You can risk your savings account. You can risk your house because, again, if you're young, you know, you have probably a, a f- some, some things to fall back on or it's not as necessary. For example, maybe you don't have a family yet. Uh, you can scrap. You can, you, can, you can get by. But you need to understand, too, what your skill set is at this time. And you need to know what you, who you need to bring into the fold and what you need to work on of your own personal skill set. Those are things that um, can really happen a lot more easily in your younger years, as Lauren talked about. And so you should value this time uh, when you are young, if you are young, to, to figure all those things out and to take some big swings. Those are all my takeaways for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please remember to subscribe to Takeaway wherever you listen to podcasts and to leave your feedback. You can also email me at sam.okus at informa.com. Thanks again and talk to you next week.